You might know my work in Twilight Zone movie, Back to the Future 2 and 3, Pale Rider, Johnny Dangerously, oh boy, Max Headroom Dallas. I was Screech's guru on Saved by the Bell, The High Geek. I don't know. I, lots of stuff. I've been working for almost 50 years. And I'm appearing on the Anthony Rogers Show. You are now listening to the best show in the universe, The Anthony Rogers Show. You probably wish that this was your show, but it's not. It's The Anthony Rogers Show. Tell all of your friends to listen to this show. Hey, this episode is brought to you by The Selfie Room, downtown St. Louis, Wash Ave. The Selfie Room is a photo studio specifically designed for the public to get fun photos. They're located, again, in downtown St. Louis, uh, 19 exhibits. Um, Basically, really good photos. If you're out for a fun afternoon, I don't know, a date or something like that. Like, I took my girlfriend there. It was really cool. Um, But uh, photo shoots, video shoots, bloggers, influencers, or... If you're looking for something to do while you're downtown or you're traveling to St. Louis and you want to check it out, um, bring your friends, uh, bring your family, bring whatever. Bring your own camera, though, for sure. Um, but they have tripods and Bluetooth remotes you can rent if you need to. Um, you don't have someone to take your photo there. Um, reservations are required. So check out the SelfieRoom.com, Instagram, SelfieRoom St. Louis. Mention this podcast and get $5 off. Do it. Oh, yeah. Uh, before I forget... Go to glitchenergy.com, use promo code BESTSHOW, get 25% off Glitch Energy, and stay in the zone when you're playing video games. Bye. Welcome back to the greatest show in the entire universe. Uh, today we have a huge like, uh, star and legend from an uh, iconic movie, in an American movie. Uh, Jeffrey Weissman, how are you doing, man? Uh, my big entrance, here I come. Wait, hold on. Okay. I'm getting ready. Uh, you know, um, I, I'm just... Here. Hi. <laughs> it's good to be here. Uh, um, so uh, do I call you Tony or Anthony? I just go by Anthony. I, yeah, I've never right. I, never done that. But uh, no, dude, I, so I, I think it was a cheap intro, but you've been in a lot of movies. Like, I want to start with, like, uh, like the Twilight Zone movie, like, first off. Like, what, what, what character? I just looked that up and found out that you were in that. Who would you play in that movie? It says Young Husband. Which character was that, though? Uh, I was the young newlywed on the plane. Uh, my position on the plane was pretty much across the aisle from John Lithgow. So you were in that. Oh, that's a crazy scene. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. That's crazy. And, and, and my, uh, so a lot of the time Alan Davio wanted to put the camera where I was sitting. So I'd go hang out in the back of the plane with the extras. There were some really fantastic extras on that scene, on that shot, uh, on that shoot. Um, a guy with it, you'll see a guy with a, a giant mohawk. And so this is 1982. So it was pretty cutting edge for Hollywood to put a punk in a major motion picture. Uh, and his name was Spaz Attack. You should look him up. He was like uh, Tony Basil's companion for choreogra- choreographing uh, a lot of famous people. And, and he was, I remember he told me he was in a scene with, uh, a fight scene with Harrison Ford and Blade Runner that apparently got cut. And then, uh, Jack Burl, Milton Burl's brother, he was in the back of the plane as one of the extras. And, and he told me about uh, his brother getting kidnapped, kidnapped at gunpoint by Al Capone. Uh, sure. 
to play uh, his club in Chicago. And, you know, Uncle Milty, he said, no, I've got this other gig. Thank you very much, Mr. Compone. Uh, you know, oh, please, please leave me alone. Sure enough, as soon as he landed, his, his thugs kidnapped him at the airport at gunpoint, took him to Capone's club. Um, so it was a really uh, lovely, well, you know, I've been in a lot of mixed bag uh, productions. The, the one, that one in particular, because of the accident, you know, three months earlier uh, on John Landis's episode where Vic Morrow and the two children literally had their heads chopped off. Yeah, I heard about that. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. I, I thought it was like dead in the water. But then when my agent called me up for the audition, I was like, what? <laughs> she says, well, Spielberg, uh, you know, that accident happened on the last day of shooting. And Spielberg said there's enough footage to finish it. And he already had Joe Dante and uh, his episode and, and uh, George Miller's, who, who I was in, whose episode I was in, uh, you know, lined up to do their shoot. So I said, okay, I went in and I was already a huge Mad Max Road Warrior fan. And here's this little guy with a big mush, bushy mustache like I've got right now. I'm playing Mark Twain in a, a show right now. Um, so a little unassuming guy who just loved being in Hollywood at a big studio, which I was the same at the time. I was, you know, just loving getting my foot in the door. And we hit it off right away. And I told him a couple jokes which he liked and he cast me uh, and it was, you know, it's just a little bit more than an extra role being a passenger because Lithgow and, and the other principals like the little girl and, and uh, you know, Abby Lane and Donna Dixon, the stewardesses, they, they were the more major roles. But George would say, you know, if you come up with an idea of a bit of business or a line or something, let's try it in rehearsal. And, you know, so I came up with six lines and, fighting with my newlywed wife over the pillow when we think we're going to crash, you know, all these little bits and, and stuff. I think, you know, most of it was cut, but you still see me once in a while. I have, I've got my big hair back. I had big hair back then. That's crazy. And that's such a, like a, that's such a huge like part of like, uh, like American cinema to be a part of in any way. That's like, that's interesting. Like I, I like the movie a lot. I like the TV show and the movie a lot, but that, that's yeah, crazy. It was, it was a, a, a gas to be on that set. I had a, a uh, very strange thing happened um, while I was shooting. Um, my girlfriend at the time, uh, her, her cat had had kittens. And in the middle of the night, um, I felt something kind of hurt my, my arm. And I was like, what the heck? And I woke up and there was a, a, a kitten hanging off my arm. And I was like, yeah, get off. And I fell back asleep. And uh, the next day on set, uh, I developed kind of a lump in my elbow. And uh, Jack Burrell said, what do you got? I said, I got a, something growing on my elbow. He said, it's a cyst. Just rub it. It'll go away. And it, and it turned into two. And then the next day I had it uh, in my armpit. And then these red lines going up my, my uh, sleeve, or my arm rather. And uh, uh, the Warner Brothers nurse said, um, you get to, get to uh, the, the, this doctor right away, a few blocks away. Um, you got uh, blood poisoning going to your heart. Is that you from that movie? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the background next to Donna here. And there's Spaz with the Mohawk. Yeah, yeah. Charles Knapp and J.D. Johnson and John being held down and Donna looking beautiful. Um, yeah, let's see if I can get other shots up here. 
There, that's after we've we've landed and looking at the damage that the gremlin did. Yeah, that was a crazy scene. I remember that. I remember that part of the movie pretty well. So I had big hair back then. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm growing it back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was surprised to see you, like, you had, like a Grateful Dead shirt on. I was, I was surprised to see your appearance. It's funny, like when I saw this, I've never met you before. But uh, like you were, you were for uh, for listeners and viewers, you were in the, you were in one of the biggest movies, like a couple movies of all time too. Like you were in Back to the Future, like one and two, also. Like that's or, uh, two and three. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's like uh, it's uh, well, I have the uh, blood poison, the cat scratch fever on Twilight Zone there. Where right uh, there? Yeah, and so my friend uh, Larry Cedar plays the monster in that. Uh, okay. You might know him from Deadwood. Yeah, he was yeah. the heroin addict, wonderful character on that. So he was inside this suit that unfortunately would disintegrate every day because they, they didn't make it water uh, uh, resistant. So the, the paint was coming off. They had to repaint that suit every night. And that's George Miller, the director, um, working with John on that scene. That's one of my favorite shots. That's great. And Is that your picture? I'm, you took that? Uh, no, that one I found on the internet. Oh, okay, cool, cool. No, I was just wondering. The, uh, That's cool, the, the, the beautiful thing about working with John Lithgow is, you know, he's such a sweet guy. He's, uh, you know, he's bigger than life, and yet at the same time, he's very mild uh, with his sweetness. And uh, the one day I was going to have lunch with him, he got called back from, we were on our way to the commissary, and he got called back to the set to do a special uh, effect. Now, if you ever see the film... And you know the scene, the shot where he opens the shade of the window and the monster is right there. There's a yeah. quick shot of his eyes popping out of his head. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And that was the shot that took place when I was supposed to be having lunch with John. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> anyway. That's so, crazy. yeah, I'm sorry I derailed your question. Um, you started to ask. Oh, I, don't, I yeah, I was bringing up also you're in uh, Back to the Future like two and three. Like, those are some of my favorite movies. Like honestly, that was crazy. Like uh, those uh, those are like legendary movies, man. Yeah, it, it seems to be uh, rediscovered by each new generation, which pleases me because you know I uh, really was kind of obscure, uh, living in obscurity after those films came out because they didn't want obviously Crispin to know. Uh, who I was or uh, how much I worked on the film, you know, they used his likeness in my makeup and then placed in a couple of close-ups of him with my work. And then, uh, you were know, you in they, the first one also in clips or were you just in the second and third? Yeah, no, the, when the first one was being made, I was doing a Western with Clint Eastwood called Pale Rider. Oh, cause you're, it credits you when you Google your name, it credits you for the first one. I didn't think you were, I, no. yeah, yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. think you were. Yeah, it's just probably a mistake in Google, probably. But yeah, no, I, I knew you were in the second and third because I knew that story. Like, uh, like, uh, like, uh, from my perspective, like, I clearly you know it better than me. But like, from my perspective, so he just like went on TV being all crazy on like Letterman stuff and demanded all this money. Like, got all crazy from like the success, I guess. And then they just like they're like, okay, Jeff, you want a job? <laughs> like, basically. Yeah, no, it was a little different than that. But I feel uh, yeah, no, I imagine you know, Crispin kind of helped. Uh, I, th- I, I can't blame Crispin for trying to hold out he was he was holding out for uh good money his his star was rising you know he had, with his performance in river's edge and the doors movie you know other stuff he'd done in the uh mid to late 80s uh his star was rising and he also did a fantastic performance as george in the first film and i, I knew him um because i'd worked with him on a film at the american film institute the year before he got the first film so i was kind of impressed when i saw him and and uh you know, I know that guy. I called him up to congratulate him. Um, 
so, you know, in 88, when I got the call, it was from an agent who handled mostly lookalikes. I'd been playing Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy and Charlie Chaplin and Groucho Marx at Universal Tours in Hollywood. And uh, the agent said, you know who Crispin Glover is? I mean, yeah. Are you the same height? Are you the same weight? And I go, no, he's taller and heavier than me, but what's up? You need for the Back to the Future sequel? And I uh, said, so I'm not at liberty to say. I said, get me in there. <laughs> you know, I, my uh, wife at the time was having our second child and I needed to get medical coverage. I needed the work. And uh, I met with the assistant directors and then I got to go to casting and audition. And then I had uh, fittings for prosthetic makeups and body casts for special effects. And then uh, spring, uh, screen test for uh, Bob Z for Robert Zemeckis and uh, Dean Cundy, at which point Bob Z said, Dean, what do you think? And Dean said, uh, I think we have Crispin without the trouble. And I was like, huh? <laughs> uh, because I was told I was just up for being a, a photo double or a stand-in uh, or both. And it was my makeup guy who said, you know, Crispin's out. You're going to be George. And I was like, what? Oh. And I couldn't fathom how they were going to do that because he was so great in the first film and so on and so forth. But apparently it had drug out for weeks this uh, back and forth where Crispin uh, kind of put his foot down saying he wanted, I think a million dollars and script approval or something. And <laughs> I, I think they probably offered him a hundred thousand, like they offered Tom and, and Leah or something. I, don't, I really am not privy to all the negotiating, but through the years you hear stories from both sides. And since I'm kind of on both sides. Um, so Crispin, you know, waited till part three came out. And uh, called me up and, you know, said, you know, what they did is wrong. And I was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, because they, they used his likeness in the makeup without his permission. And then also put in shots of him to make it seem like he was still in the film, mixed with my work, without him being able to negotiate the reusage of the, that, the, that footage. So it was really kind of icky. And I, uh, in speaking with him and sharing photos that I had of my work and such, he ended up pretty much winning his case out, outside of court before it even went to court. They gave him three quarters of a million dollars. And uh, then, you know, since I, you know, thought I was being a good friend and helping him in justice being served, uh, just trying to call him and say, let's do some events together, the two Georges together, or, you know, uh, let's write a book about it or whatever. Um, he he just like won't even won't even talk to me, <laughs> and it's it's unfortunate too because on the other hand you know he and Bob Gale have this this uh, rivalry, and uh, it's been going on like ridiculously long for thirty years now. Uh, accusations and anger and it's like come on you guys get over it get over your egos and pain and stuff and move forward and heal do something for Michael's charity. I keep saying that and I, I hope they'll come around. Because, you know, for the fans, that's what it, you know, this conversation started about with your question. Uh, I was pretty much obscure. And after it came out that I had helped Crispin, I found out that I was blacklisted over at the studio, which if you find that out from a, a, an actor's point of view, that's like having your rug pulled out from under you. And it uh, kind of put me in a tailspin and uh, some breakdown stuff, really bad scene for a couple of years. But then uh, I, uh, you know, rallied and, and got my butt out of L.A. where the traffic was killing me and, and work 
in independent film and, and on stage and wherever I can really now. That's why I'm, I'm doing the Mark Twain project. So uh, it was in uh, 2008, I think I did my first Back to the Future cast reunion where the p actors from the trilogy were brought together at uh, a fan con in Hollywood. And then uh, Michael J. Fox showed up unannounced, uh, which was really cool. And it was the first time really seeing Leah and uh, Chris and Tom since, you know, since when we shot. Actually, Tom didn't come, but uh, he's doing conventions now. And Mike never did conventions until uh, tw in 2014. I wrote him because the owner of a Comic-Con in London said, I want to do a big reunion for the 25th. And uh, how do I get Mike? And I said, just, you know, whatever you're paying him for his appearance, we match it and give it to his charity. And it worked, and he's been doing those conventions ever since, though. Uh, yet a couple years ago, or more recently, uh, he had back surgery. I don't think he's doing much since that. That's crazy. So, yeah, no, that's uh, – so you, you were like a, a stunt double, you said, prior? Like, like within like, – like you did like stunt doubling prior to this, you said? No, uh, I thought I was being the uh, – the photo double for Crispin for George. Oh, okay, so you're just preparing for that. For the you didn't do that. Pro okay, that was, I was just wondering. No, for, for, that's interesting, uh, man. Like for uh, a living, I, I've been an actor now. Well, fifty years almost. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. like, uh, no, no, it's weird. Like, uh, like that whole that whole moment of like pop culture. That's like a huge movie. And like, I think you're. I like the second one. And the third one, honestly, better. Those are like my like the second one's probably my favorite, honestly. This is uh, me with the director, Robert Zemeckis, in the old George makeup. That's crazy. Did you and know then, this was going to blow up when you, like, was Back, Back to the Future was probably already blown up by the time you did this one. It was like a, did you know this was going to be a huge film, basically? Like, you pretty much knew? Well, sure. You know, the, the first film was Until the highest, highest grossing film of 1984. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I was born in 86, so I didn't know the backstory of that. That's, cra that's crazy, man. Like, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, you have more, and, show me more of those pictures. Sorry, I, was, I, was, I was just talking. While I was like, I want to see that. That was cool. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. Give me, a, give me a sec here. Uh, so the, um, it was, it was kind of a no brainer. They, they, uh, they were going to um, make a lot of money. <laughs> they were going to make a lot of money and uh, uh, they were throwing, in fact, I remember in, in, you know, the, the trade papers like um, Hollywood reporter and, and the uh, variety they were calling it back to the bank because they threw enough money at, at uh, all the principals to bring them back to do reprise their roles. And um, so I, I think what I'll do is I'll just uh, show some pictures and kind of, because it's all every, all sorts of different things are open here. Um, and so, uh, you know, Harry Waters Jr. who played Marvin Berry, and oh, okay, that's cool. On Full of Love, who plays uh, Mayor Goldie Wilson, and yeah, uh, actually three three versions of Goldie Wilson. Um, we do you know these fan cons every once in a while, and and you know the fans from around the world love it, and we do work with uh, DeLorean time machines. There's with Claudia Wells, who played um, Jennifer Parker in the first film. Oh, okay. Uh, and me looking like uh, David Crosby there. Um, so, so people who, who know the, the old George 2015 McFly household, my entrance, I, 
I say, how's granddad's little pumpkin? Mm -hmm. And that's based on what uh, Michael, as my granddaughter, Marlene, is wearing. Because my, my head, when coming in at the door, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, you know, butt level with her uh, hot pants that made her butt look like uh, a, a pumpkin. That's so funny. how's granddad's little pumpkin I improvised? So were you at, you actually had to hang upside down for that? Like you were that, like were you, how long were you upside down? <laughs> like that's like a crazy scene to shoot probably. I was upside down uh, every day while we were shooting those scenes for, uh, I think it was probably six or seven days over a two week period. And some of those days, because we only had Michael either at night or on the weekends when he wasn't shooting the last season of Family Ties, um, the days would be really, really long. I remember one week I had a 19 hour, I had a 21 hour and I had a 26 hour long day. And those were hanging upside down. This was the first reunion we did. And, you know, Mark McClure down here holding his puppy. Mark played um, Dave McFly. In, oh, the brother? Uh, yeah. He okay. was also in uh, the Superman movies. He was Jimmy Olsen. Okay. Francis Lee McCain, who played Stella Baines, Lorraine's mom, Leah, of course, playing Lorraine Baines. Me behind her, Michael, Chris, uh, Claudia, and James Tolkien, the wonderful James Tolkien, who played Principal Strickland and Sheriff. Oh, Strickland. wow. Okay. That's crazy. I hadn't seen that kind of That's crazy. And then, uh, you know, That's the fans make art and stuff and send it to me. I, or I buy it if I, uh, you know, they don't want to, uh, if it's for sale. Um, so this is a pop art piece of me as, you know, futuristic George. Um, it's always fun. I, I even have uh, an action figure that a fan made. Uh, of me, uh, let me see if I can pull that up here. Keep bear, bear with me, bear with me. Uh, okay. So, like I mentioned, that we had this nice reunion in 2015 at at London uh, Film and Comic Con, where there were 11 of us. I think uh, 13 of us. Let's see, two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven of us there, which was really cool. And it was the first show that Michael did. For the fans and he loved it the fans loved him uh what's not to love he's a great guy and then we do these delorean conventions this one was in dayton ohio uh, where we was the first time we saw this high school had put together this musical drama teacher had put together a version of back to the future that was a musical and they performed it for us and i think that's where bob gale went oh my god this is a natural because we all cried. It was really fantastic. Um, That's crazy. And then backstage, we all signed a guitar that went off to auction for, for Michael's charity. And it was really cool to, to have, um, you know, the, uh, the adoration of thousands of fans hanging on your every word at the, at the panels. So I'm uh, going to try to open a couple shots here so you can see that makeup. Because most people go, what do you mean uh, you played young George? Whoops. Can you see it? Oh, in that callback scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Like, uh, that's so crazy. So you can see the, the uh, face forward. It didn't look so much like uh, anything. Like, you know, it kind of funky, creepy looking. <laughs> Um, but on the, um, 
on the, uh, uh, the profile, it looked pretty, pretty dead on. Yeah, it's crazy. So I got to, you know, uh, knock Biff out and, and uh, <laughs> kiss Lorraine at the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance Redux. That's um, crazy. Yeah, that recap episode when they went back. Yeah, I remember that. That's crazy. Or the re re recap part of it. That was that's crazy, man. That's a huge film, man. Like, does that just get does that get you work for for no reason, or does, or does that hold you back? You think like stigma, like like because you're typecast. Is it typecasting more or less? Like, is the question? Uh, you know, it's uh, not really. It's a mixed bag. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily get a lot of offers of of lead roles from it um, because I'm I've grown into being a more of a character actor, um, but I kind of prefer. Uh, sometimes these independent films that I'm, I'm offered more meaty roles. Uh, I, I did a film <clears throat> not too long ago where, <clears throat> excuse me, I play a, a, a depressed uh, widower with a metal plate in his head who's uh, got epilepsy. And he's, he becomes the avenging angel of this adolescent girl who's being abused in the foster care system. And it's a very heavy film uh, out there on Amazon called uh, Savior of None. Uh, it's really nice to have uh, parts that have some meat in them. Uh, I first came to Hollywood sort of as a hot item, screen testing for the lead in a film called War Games. And then I thought I was going up to my screen test at Warner Brothers for uh, Lady Hawk when Matthew Broderick came down on his price. Um, so I, you know, was going in on leads and then slowly became more character roles like uh, in Pale Rider, where I played, you know, the kind of half-wit son of a tin pan, you know, gold miner. Um, and uh, then in, you know, more recent years, uh, I played Mark Twain in uh, that PBS movie about his trip to Jerusalem and, the, and Europe in 1867. And I've uh, got the mustache back now because I'm doing a pilot for a show called Mark Twain's American history. That's cool. Mark Twain's from Missouri. I'm, I'm from Missouri. He's from uh, like Hannibal. Hannibal, I think. Like Hannibal. I've yeah. been to his. Uh, bir I've been to his childhood home actually. Like uh, I saw it's like uh, like I did all that tourist stuff about him. He's from here. Like half the half the things in Missouri are named after him. Like, I'd love to. I'd love to. You know, get get there uh, to his his birth home uh, as Twain. See if I could you know come out and tell the the jumping frog story or do an appearance there. Uh, and it, it, researching him. I have I probably have forty books on Twain in my library that I'm reading, and two sets of his biography. One's his autobiography. That's each volume is seven hundred plus pages long. Uh, so I've learned a lot about him. And you know, when he was growing up in Hannibal, uh, he almost died a few times as a kid. He kept getting these mystery diseases and high fevers that wouldn't break. And they, his mom would even bring in the the pastor to give him last rites. She thought she was going to lose her boy, but he was ornery <laughs> and he'd pull through. Um, and so he was a, he was a tough customer and he based a lot of his characters, you know, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn on uh, kids that he knew growing up. And uh, he really uh, had a love of, of, of those, of his childhood and, and drew on it a lot. And then of course, his young years as a Mississippi boat captain, on life in the Mississippi and a lot of his uh, early stuff and out West uh, helped make his career because he, you know, he was a reporter or he was more of a typesetter 
working for his brother and others there in Missouri. And then when he came out West, after a couple of years working for his brother and not getting paid in the Nevada territory, he started working as a reporter after not striking any gold or silver. And uh, that reporter work is what got him into deep trouble in San Francisco. He, he uh, was reporting on the abuse of the Chinese by the citizens and the way the police were looking the other way when these poor Chinese were getting beat up. And he was reporting in the paper in the San Francisco Daily Call about that, pissing off the police chief. And then a buddy of his got into a barroom brawl and Mark posted the bail for this guy. And it looked like the guy, the bouncer that his buddy cracked a bottle or a beer pitcher on his head was going to die. And Mark uh, Sam Clemens didn't have the money to post the bail. So knowing the chief of police was after him and that the court was going to hold him responsible for this bail he couldn't post um, or cover, uh, he hightailed it up to the gold country. And that's where he was holed up in Jackass Hill near Angel's Camp in Calabarese County that he heard the Jumpin' Frog story that he later, you know, a year or so later put in print uh, in New York. It got picked up and then kind of went worldwide and put the, his nom de plume, Mark Twain, uh, on the map. That's interesting. Yeah, no, he's, he's, got, he's prolific, man. He, uh, he's definitely a good part of, like, like, like pop culture back in the day, you know. Like, I think uh, Val Kilmer played him, in, played him in a bunch of one-man plays and stuff, too. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, he, his, um, Tw- Twain was, like, the first to do a lot of stuff as, an, a, a, the, like, an American voice. The oh, whole, yeah. That's the true. trip to Europe and the Holy Land, he was like the uh, first kind of American take on being a tourist. Yeah. Uh, it was always European voice or other countries saying this, you have to go here, you must do this and take him that. And Twain was like, I almost got uh, my throat cut by a barber in Paris. You know, all these different things. Uh, you know, I've looked at... Uh, the, the Jesus tomb there and it seemed pretty opulent there and in reverence for my mom, you know, I got on my knees and, and shed some tears and there was my cousin, uh, Adam, <laughs> uh, the, the Holy Sepulchre, this nun who, who put all the, these, uh, tombs together. She had David, Adam and Jesus all in the same place, how she located them and, and got their tombs. It's pretty interesting. But, um, so he had this comedic take and very original American voice that hadn't been heard before. And so he became really uh, America's first famous humorist. I mean, there was a guy named Artemis Ward who was an American humorist who unfortunately died young that Twain loved. He, he uh, got to see Artemis Ward do his lecture and just loved his presentation. And Twain started copying Artemis Ward's delivery and Artemis died and Twain sort of took it from there with his lectures. It's crazy. That makes sense. Yeah. We all get it from somewhere. It's like, it's like Bob Dylan with that one folk, like he had a folk guy. I did the same thing with, I forgot his name right off, but Ramblin' Jack Elliott. What's well, one of them. It was like that guy with the, he had the, this machine kills fascism thing on his guitar. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, uh, yeah. Woody uh, Guthrie. Woody Guthrie. Woody Guthrie. Woody Guthrie. Yeah. They're all, he's influenced by a bunch of guys, but Woody Guthrie is the big one. I was thinking of, so I, I know Ramblin' Jack, and he's, he swears that Bob stole his act. And I'm like, okay, then I'll tell you a story. 
that's that's interesting to hear but that's funny like so what, what kind of uh i guess what's the craziest aspect of this like kind of level of success in like the 80s and stuff like uh this is like one of the biggest movies probably of all time and i imagine then it was big too like uh what, what was that what was that aspect of like uh like what what was that for you what was that like for you i mean like well, it being, was thrilling you know it was uh, i'd have to pinch myself you know here i am working on probably one of the best uh cast and crew productions extant at the time i remember uh, uh dick tracy uh was shooting next door and you know i'd see william forsyth as flat top and and uh dustin hoffman as prune face and you know or was it al pacino but anyway uh, and their makeups were really amazing and they'd look at me and going what are you supposed to be but you know, that film kind of didn't do what Back to the Future had done. And then the sequels continuing that, uh, you know, the, that trilogy's now earned more than a billion dollars worldwide. Oh, wow. And not that I get much of that, but I get the uh, adulation of the fans worldwide. And I get to sometimes go to the fan cons. Like one of the shots you saw there was my first back uh, to being in-person uh, uh, fan cons there in Pensacola, uh, Pensacon, uh, where we had a little uh, reunion, and and it was it was nerve wracking because the the mask mandate in Florida had just been released, you know, so half the people at the show didn't wear masks, and then no one on the streets were wearing masks, and and my my honey, uh, my beloved is uh, at risk because she had brain cancer, and, the, and I had her with me and I'm like, Oh my God, well, if we're going to get it, we're going to get it together. Here. Um, it's uh, even though we're fully vaccinated, you can still carry it or even get it as, as we've learned. Um, so it's crazy getting back to in-person stuff. And I'm, I'm really worried about, you know, I love doing in-person in your face environmental theater. I was in a hit show in San, San Francisco called the, the speakeasy uh, where you're in a tight, uh, scenes that are choreographed with the audience right in your face uh, or I work like I mentioned theme parks and uh, do Commedia dell'arte and and uh, you know do buffoonery in people's faces or my uh, various characters uh, was on the Polar Express for for 12, 11 years uh, playing the hobo going train to train with all these kids and that kind of work I think is going to be a thing of the past past until you know the, this COVID thing is fully gone away or we figured out how to handle it. And I still think we're not even close on uh, getting rid of it. Uh, what are you going to do? No, California takes that way more seriously than the rest of the world. Like, like, uh, you, you, you wouldn't even notice anything's different in Missouri. Like nobody cares about it. Like, well, it's, it's very, it hit me uh, hard right when it came to the United States. I, I lost a cousin every month from uh, February, March, and April of, of 2020. I had a cousin die from the COVID and and Alan Davio, the cinematographer I mentioned on Twilight Zone, he died of COVID. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, no one's, I don't even know a single person. So, I mean, it hasn't even affected me other than like, that's crazy for you. I mean, I'm sorry for that. But yeah, I mean, I, only the protocols have affected me. I really, like in certain places like the cities or something. But that's like, I don't know. It's just like not really, like, I, I, I don't know. It's just weird. Um, yeah, um, I just encourage people to be compassionate and think about people that you don't know that uh, yeah. their story, if they're at risk, you know, they could get it and die. No yeah, I, just, 
I just feel like everybody's just pretending like they know what's going on. Nobody really knows. We're all like in this, like we're in this weird situation. Like we want to figure out and clearly empathy for like, God bless your family and friends and stuff. Like you mean nothing, nothing on that. It's just like, we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like, and just and pretending like we do. It's just like, I don't, you know, that's, that's like my thing. It's like, I have no idea. What going on. Like, like we could fucking all die tomorrow. Who knows? We could live forever. Who knows? I, mean, I have no idea. I have no fucking clue. Uh, re- kind of early on because I'm a. This episode is brought to you by DIY Gift Kits. Go to DIYGiftKits.com, link in the description, and get yourself a hot sauce making kit right now. This episode is brought to you by Cream City Vapes. Go to CreamCityVapes.com, a link in the description. Uh, get butane and torches, carb caps and pearls, dab dumpster, dab tools, mood mats, temp readers. Free shipping over $50, and they plant one tree per product sold. An inquisitive guy, you know, I'm always looking at the equipment, you know, the camera and the uh, special effects team and other things on, on sets that I work on. And yeah. then when the uh, pandemic started, I, I joined immediately a Facebook page that were uh, people who have it or have had it. Hmm. And then joined another one of, of the long haulers of people with the effects. And I remember the, the first page went from just under 20,000 to 50,000 people making the comments of what they're going through, of what they went through, who they've lost, you know, lots of Crazy. death. And then the long haulers now are all dealing with these uh, really shitty side effects that are totally screwing them up with uh, – so many different things with heart problems and brain clouds and uh, rashes and all sorts of shit. That seems like it um, hit fucking it hit California and New York pretty bad. It seems like, yeah. I mean, like certain parts. I mean, I hear stories from people in New York City and LA. It's, it seems like more relevant. But like, like I said, Missouri, it's like you don't even, I mean, you couldn't even tell anything happened. If you weren't, if you didn't have TV or a cell phone in Missouri, you would have never known anything happened. Probably not. <laughs> Dude, I know. It was weird. I think she's densely populated. You know what I mean? So it's I, like I, I spent some time working the Six Flags out in Eureka, outside of St. Louis. You've been you've been to Six Flags Eureka. That's hilarious. Yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah, I know I, that. I spent a summer there playing uh, Charlie Chaplin and, and Stan Laurel. That's awesome. And, uh, awesome. You know, I I know what it's like there in in Missouri with uh, you know your wonderful thunderstorms and tornadoes and uh, they and, freak you out. The, the tornadoes, the tornado sirens freak you out. You're not from there. You don't hear them all the time. We hear them like every every Tuesday. There's a tornado. Sorry, like so. Uh, yeah, no, I can imagine that being crazy. Like as of being from oh. like, California. Well, my my break room was right under the Batman ride, and and the you know, the light, lightning came and hit the ride, and the tornado was just a mile away. I was like, mm, I'm getting out of this trailer. I'm going into a real building with bricks. Um, <laughs> and then the culture, the people. You know, you'd ask someone something kind of simple, like you know, we're can you give me directions to something that's just around the corner? You know, I'm kind of new around here. What, what do you recommend? And the time and again, I get the uh, response. I have no idea. Yeah. That's Eureka, bro. Yeah. Eureka is like full of morons, man. Like, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to say that, but they, a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of people, no, you're in the sticks, but I, in, in a bad way. I, I like a, I like the more country area or the, like the city. I like, I like, I, I lived in St. Louis for about five years. The city itself, and then I I, uh, I love the country part of it too, man. Like I don't like that in between much. I don't like that in between area as much. Well, I I loved it out in the country. I got got to do some camping, uh, and and just had wonderful times out out in the country and out here in Missouri. Like yeah, that's and awesome. Then, and then uh, there was a free concert once. Little Feet came and played, and I uh, I got somehow backstage and started partying with the members of Little Feet. That was really fun. That's I an all star band, right? With like the guy from the Chili Peppers and Sammy Hagar and some other guys. No, this is a this is a band that uh, from the early '70s that was still gigging when I I was out there in the '90s. I recognize uh, them. I just can't remember who they are. Real fast. Oh, Little Feet got a lot of great songs. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. I, I didn't see him real fast. I was picturing that. Like, uh, I was picturing that. That's cool, man. That you've seen Missouri quite a bit. I, I, I love it here, to be honest, man. Like, uh, like, yeah. So you, you, how long were you in Eureka then? I guess. Just one summer. Oh, you so you spent a summer. Okay, that's that's a lot of time, really. That's that's yeah. cool, though, man. Yeah, no, I live. I'm pro- right now. I'm probably about I don't know, like an hour from there. But like, uh, like I'm in the these St. Louis, like uh, St. Louis City, and then I, and then I'm in the suburbs of like not St. Louis County, but like in the suburbs there right now. It's like uh, it's it, it's clear. You, um, you found some shoreline. It looks like right there in in a uh, little bit of. Uh, beach property there oh yeah i mean I'm, I'm at a digital beach i'm sorry i forgot it's it's i love how glitchy it is man i love it no dude i that's that's interesting you've been here that's some relativity that's cool like uh i can't wait till people watch this from missouri like you're like the guy from back to the future was in missouri <laughs> like, it's just funny like, i mean i think people are gonna think that it's kind of cool that's a cool vibe oh, well man. you know leah um i think leah's from the midwest I, I believe she's from like minnesota and then and harry waters jr who played marvin berry he's he teaches at McAllister in Minnesota. That's crazy. Um, Leah yeah. Thompson's huge. She's a huge star, man. Like that's a, she's in a lot of good movies. I like dude, honestly. Yeah, and she's a sweet gal. She's wonderful. It's crazy. You just know these people. Like, yeah, that's crazy. Like, Christopher Lloyd's probably one of the biggest guys in that movie. I think he did like Taxi and a bunch of stuff, man. He was like that dude was a legend before Back to the Future. You know what I mean? Like that was crazy. Oh, I was I was starstruck. I uh, didn't have any scenes with him, but I asked uh, my makeup guy, Mike Mills. Uh, who was the foreman on Beetlejuice, I said, Mike, is there any way you can introduce me to Chris? And he said, well, come by tomorrow night or whatever when we're doing this all-night shoot for Hill Valley Exterior 2015. And, uh, you know, I, I got out there at three or four in the morning, and then Chris eventually came into the, the makeup trailer where I was waiting, Mike introduced us, and it was I was just starstruck. I was thrilled, and I was like, I'm a huge fan. You know, I love Adam's family and Taxi and everything you Buckaroo Banzai and and uh, thanks, and we kind of just stared at each other for a while and stared, and I was like, "Gotta go, <laughs> dude." That's and crazy. So that was what '88, and then uh, we started doing uh, gigs where theaters like the uh, Beverly Hills, what was it, uh, uh, Beverly New Beverly Cinema in Beverly Hills did the trilogy and had Chris and I. Uh, as special guests there. And, and before, you know, we were coming on to do our Q and a, we were holed up in the projectionist's room for about 45 minutes. So that's where I finally got to break the ice and get him to talk because he's very quiet. If he doesn't know you, he won't talk. Um, and you know, I, I've learned, you know, just to relax around him, get him relaxed and he opens up and chats and, and he's a great guy, very eccentric. Uh, I've now done a couple other films with him. One called the Chateau Moreau, which is on the Hallmark Channel, and another one called The Boat Builder. Just little little parts, but I've been on more films with him, which I'm always grateful for. That's awesome. Yeah, he's huge, man. Like, I, that's got, yeah, it's got to be crazy. He, he, I was like halfway through his career being a legend, you know? That wasn't like the beginning. So, like, was Michael J. Fox big before this? I, I, oh, yeah, he was in that TV show, wasn't he? He was in uh, Family Ties, wasn't he? Yeah. and then He the was big for... The, that whole story of, uh, you know, they originally wanted Michael for Marty, but because Meredith Baxter Burney, who played his mom on that, on Family Ties, she got pregnant and was going to have birth maybe anytime soon. So they didn't want to let Michael go. He was some, sometimes filling in with comedy and uh, the scriptwriters needed all the cast there. And the producers didn't even let Michael know that these, this production at Universal, Back to the Future, wanted him for the lead in this film. 
they, yeah, they shot at somebody else, didn't they? That, who did they shoot that with? I forgot. Yeah, uh, uh, the, another film that I went up on, uh, Mask, which has an interesting story, because I, I uh, used to manage uh, an old Victorian building that had uh, this biker dude and his old lady uh, who were making crystal meth in the bathtub. You know, I'd, uh, she I, she showed me pictures of her her boys. One was dying of AIDS, and the other one had already died. But he had this horrible facial uh, uh, deformation deformation. Uh, he, he looked uh, tumors on the outside of his face and stuff. And, and uh, years later when I auditioned for mask and it came out, I realized this was rusty and her, her son, Rocky. Hmm. Um, and I confirmed that when I ran into her. Uh, so I, I said, you know, I almost, I almost played your son because I auditioned for Bogdanovich way back. And he didn't tell me that it was outside tumors. He uh, just said it was like a brain tumor or something. And so I didn't play it, I think. Right. But Eric Stoltz got it. And Eric Stoltz from the uh, hit, that mask was, uh, was pushed onto the Back to the Future production as the that's, actor you need to use. That's and, right. And he took it really seriously. He was doing more of a serious bent than the comedy bent that they wanted with Michael. And uh, so after seven or eight weeks of shooting, they let him go. And now Michael was available. Uh, so they got Michael back. And then also uh, Claudia Wells had been replaced with Melora... Uh, the gal from the office, um, Melora Harden. Anyway, they uh, didn't use her. They got Claudia back. They got Michael back. And the rest is kind of history. Um, and, you know, because they, the whole cast and crew had worked for eight weeks shooting, they, you know, had it down. They knew what they were doing and could polish with all that rehearsal. And Michael, who's a, a consummate pro, comes in with his formula for doing comedy and just nails everything. And, um, so naturally, it was a, a fun, fun movie. And I got two releases. Uh, it got an initial release, and then in the summer, I got a re-release. And that's why I made so much money that year. Oh, I didn't know that. That makes perfect sense. Some people went to movie theaters a lot more. That makes sense. That's interesting. I didn't so know uh, here's a trivia for you and, and uh, your fans, any Back to the Future fans that may be there. Do uh, you know the, the original way Marty got back from 55 to 85? No, not what was it? Uh, he was going to drive the DeLorean time machine 88 miles an hour underneath an atom bomb as it's being dropped at a nuclear test site out in Nevada. In the fifties. Yeah. Okay. Instead of a lightning. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, well, the head of the production of the studio said Scheinberg came and said, well, if you want to let go of Stoltz and you want Michael J. Fox, you need to cut a million dollars off your budget. So they cut the whole scene. And I think came up with the lightning hitting, striking the clock tower thing. That's crazy. Okay. That's wow. That's crazy. That would have been crazy with the atomic bomb. You have me visualizing that now. It's like, it reminds me of like Evil Dead when I found out that he had like an alternative energy of that too. It's like, that's, that's yeah. crazy to think about. Well, if, if you that's look huge. at the, mar the marquee of the theater in Hill Valley, uh, the atomic kid is playing. Uh, I, I think at one point I saw that. Yeah. I, after you said that, that made sense. I even seen that. I, I've seen that. Uh, I, that's in uh, California, that studio. I've seen, I've seen that uh, the courthouse and stuff as a kid, like we went there as like a, that was uh, Universal. Yeah. that's where it was. Universal studios. Yeah. Universal studios had that. I remember seeing that as a kid, actually. Now I think about so, that. So you may have seen me on the tour. I was playing Stan Laurel and Charlie Chaplin and Groucho Marx on the tour. That's crazy. Small world. That's crazy. Yeah, I might, I might be, in a photo with you. <laughs> yeah, how many times has that happened to you? That probably happens a lot. I, every once in a while, someone will send me a picture and say, is this you? And I go, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. You teach uh, acting now too, right? I do. 
That's interesting. How how'd you get into that? If I mean, just from doing it for so long, you're like, hey, I have some uh, lessons to teach people, type thing, or what? I do. I've I've got uh, a lot of experience for almost fifty years that I've been acting, and I love uh, seeing talent kind of find its way and help hone that craft. You know, there's a lot. You know, I think I I really think that everyone is capable of acting. Uh, you just need the right guidance. And there isn't really one acting technique, cookie cutter technique that's right for everyone. So I take exercises from all the acting great, you know, gurus and teachers and, and we'll try them out to see what works for specific talent. If, you know, the old uh, emotional recall or, or sense memory work works for one person and not for someone else and but the fantasy charging and repetition exercise works for another person or some people just have talent and just do it have a very zen approach you know it's everyone's kind of wired differently and everyone has their own histories and traumas and things that come into play and uh it's really fun to watch people uh, blossom and and folk that i've mentored uh, go and you know take the plunge into Hollywood and, and make it or not make it or find another uh, career. You know I've had uh, numerous successes with with my students, so I'm I'm really happy about that. That's awesome! Congrats on the success, man. That's cool. I, I think it's kind of a cool give back too. I think like uh, like having somebody in like a. I mean you have you have a you're like a. I mean you're part of pop culture now. You're part of like American history and American cinema. I mean yeah, it's, it's kind of that that wow factor with my students. You know I'd, I'll. Uh, I also, with the pandemic, I, I've learned now to teach through Zoom, where I can, you know, tape the monologue or the scene and stop the Zoom. As you know, it downloads the recording, and then I'll start the meeting up again, share the screen, and we watch the the scene work, and I can comment on it, and they can see their own work. That's so, awesome. No, what, yeah, no wonder you're so good at Zoom. You're, t you're telling me how to use. <laughs> you're, t you're telling me some stuff before. Like, I gotta, that's that's cool, man. That's actually that's actually a really innovative way to kind of like teach acting, man. I like that, dude. That's. Um, well, I also cool. work with this group. Uh, when the pandemic started, I needed to still work. You know, I'm an artist. Yeah. I needed to flex my muscles. So I uh, saw that this guy, who was a Facebook friend, had adapted Back to the Future as if Shakespeare had written it. And he huh. said, this company is going to uh, do this, my work, out of London. I said, is it still casting? I wrote him a messenger. And he said, I don't know. Here's the casting director's email. And I, I wrote her. And when she learned who I was, she was like, sure, we'd love to have you a part of this. Who would you like to play? And I was like, Doc Brown? Dude, so, you look like that now. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, so I, I basically do my Chris Lloyd Doc Brown in a Shakespeare version of Back to the Future that's free. It's on <laughs> YouTube called Get Thee Back. And you know, I'm going to watch that now after this interview. You're, you're going to have me watching that now. That's crazy. So oh. that that's funny. Dude. Like, so like the actor that played like George McFly is now playing the doc. That's funny. So you're playing two different characters in this like kind of like, like story now, man. That's, that's crazy to think about. What was it called again? It's called Get Thee Back. And the company is called The Show Must Go Online, T-S-M-G-O. And they did over the summer all of Shakespeare's plays. One, one a week. They did the entire canon. They did a Shakespeare version of Star Wars and of Mean Girls and Back to the Future. I found that already on YouTube. I'm, I'm going to watch that. That's crazy to think about. That's I'm also in their production of Twelfth Night. That's crazy. That's, that's awesome. Well, congrats on your success, man. You, you probably, you were in like, like way more movies than we even brought up. I just brought up the, like the, the ones I thought like that, that stuck out to me first off and stuff. But uh, do you have anything well, you want to promote people, before? Wait, what's a up? Lot of people are, a lot of people are fans of Pale Rider. Uh, you that's know, a big one. Yeah, I saw that. 
five weeks with uh, Clint Eastwood on that. And, and uh, it's a beautiful film and kind of got, uh, you know, it, it, it out, uh, well, it earned, out earned the money that Silverado made. So it, it became the uh, best grossing Western of the eighties, I think. Wow. Uh, I didn't know uh, that. And then and then Clint did uh, Unforgiven, which you know was a masterpiece. Um, so it was really great to you know kind of lose the fanboy thing and intimidation of seeing Clint in his duster and hat and being the mystery man and getting to know him as a person. It was really fantastic to uh, see how hard working he and his crew are and and work with that ensemble. That ensemble was a terrific cast. You know, Michael Moriarty and Kerry Snodgrass and Richard Dysart and Richard Keel. Uh, I would just pinch myself being in, in such great company. That's how having a podcast is. Like, like literally, it's the same exact thing. You have to talk to like all these people. Like, like you're part of like cinema history, my favorite movies. You know what I mean, just just on this interview. But then like anybody, anybody I talk, it's like the same thing every time. It's like it, it's like the same vibe you just described. It's like it's like you're like now you're working with these people. Like it's like weird, you know. It's like. It's a cool feeling, man. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of your success, man. It's good, good for everything you're doing, man. I, I like hearing that shit. Is there anything you want to promote like, while we're here before we get out of here or whatever? Uh, let's see. What do I got going? Um, I've got a show in August uh, in Orlando called Fanboy Expo. And then I think we're going to Knoxville, Tennessee to their Fanboy Expo in October. Uh, November, uh, New Jersey Horror Con. So there's, you know, some in-person stuff and people can always, you know, email me through jeffreyweissman.com, uh, you know, send me a message or follow me uh, on Instagram or Twitter. And if, you know, someone really needs to have an autographed picture, I, I can uh, handle that, you know, tell you how to get that. Or if you want acting lessons, I can do it by Zoom. <laughs> um, I need the work. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Just uh, follow me. I'm on Twitter at J-E-F, only one F, Weissman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N. On Instagram at Jeffrey, J E F F R E Y J, Weissman, W E I S S M A N. Uh, I'm on TikTok. I don't know what my handle on TikTok, maybe at Jeffrey Weissman. And uh, now Clubhouse, which is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, follow me, stay in touch, and I'll see you in the future.